Hello. Hello. And welcome to the Stitchcraft Podcast number 19. Hello. How you doing? I am well. <laughs> um, my name is Island. And I'm Miranda. Um, yes. And welcome to episode 19. Um, we, we're, we're one shy of some next round number that will make me feel, we're like, we're at the age where you're old enough to go to Windsor to drink. Ooh. And for those of you who aren't from <laughs> Southeast Michigan, that means nothing to you. But when it's you're from time South- to drink in Canada, <laughs> <laughs> when you're from Southeast Michigan, when you're 19, you cross the border to have your first drink in Windsor, which is actually South Detroit. <laughs> Thanks, Journey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we have a, yes. we have a special guest today, so we're going to do a very brief version of what's in your cup. Well, I want to hit it right away because you have a really pretty glass, and I know no one can see, but you got you got a pretty. Co- it looks like a cocktail, but it's not. yes, yes, it is not a cocktail. Um, I'm just having water, but um, what I did was I took limes and I cut them into little small wedges small enough to fit inside an ice cube tray and I made ice cubes with limes inside of them so I can't remember where I saw this first I think it was like Martha Stewart living or something she's a bad she's a bad boss lady she can you know? tell me anything any housing I did not housing but uh, you know home details of the mm-hmm. dance So I like this because I am also one of those people who gets very uncomfortable with the idea of wasting food. So we had some limes in our house right before we had to go on a trip. So rather than toss the limes, knowing that they were not going to survive that uh, the time we were gone, I cut them up and made them into ice cubes. And now anytime that I want uh, limes in my water, I just thaw them. And actually they're, they're still really good. Like they, they were still perfectly good for liming a gin and tonic the other day. So, so yeah, I think you can do this with pretty much any citrus. I don't know how well it would really work with soft fruits, but citrus is pretty, pretty sturdy. They're resilient. The other thing I'm thinking of is like, you know, water expands as it freezes. Mm -hmm. So it actually might allow for your citrus like little wedge to express in some ways Mm -hmm. so that as it melts, you actually get more lime juice than say if you just squeezed it yourself. I just wonder. Yeah, I don't know. But I will say that um, as soon as the ice begins to melt, so that it isn't even fully thawed, like you haven't even actually gotten to the lime part of it yet. It's, it already tastes like it's flavoring the water. So there's, there's plenty of juice there. So it tastes quite fresh to me at least. That's awesome. I love that idea. Yeah. Very good. Yay. Um, I am drinking. This is my favorite. I want to say cheap, but some people are real cheap. Um, this is my favorite um, rosé for around $10 or less right now. It's Prophecy Rosé. And I've talked about Prophecy before on um, a different episode. Uh, I kind of love that they kind of have like a tarot scope on all of their artwork. So this this appears to be the, I'm going to make a guess here. It looks like the wheel, the wheel of fortune mm-hmm. is the card that she's kind of representing on the label. But I just, I appreciate that they gave a fuck about the art. Yeah, I do. Really and I like pretty. that it's kind of, it's kind of witchy. Mm-hmm. And every time I brought that bottle to a get together, people respond really well to it. Not just because of the, the art, but honestly, it's just really easy and drinkable and not too sweet. So awesome. yeah, Prophecy Rosé from France. From France. Um, well, I will go ahead and just kick this off. We have a really special guest today um, that is going to be doing our second session of summer school. And it's our friend, Arlise Herrera Lugo. Um, she's a girl I went to college with. I shouldn't say girl, a woman that I went to college <laughs> she with. She is a grown ass lady. <laughs> a grown ass woman inspiring many other women. Um, she's someone I went to college with, but has far exceeded the the, uh, the the growth plan for many of us. She's done many <laughs> things at a really quick, you know, fast clip. Um, she currently is a major champion of sustainable fashion. She teaches it at Parsons and at 
the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. She's considered really a leader and expert in this field on circular production and circular planning when developing product, which is pretty unreal because a lot of people talk about sustainability and it's a very, um, it's a dream. And as she says in our interview, it's a bit of a destination, it's a journey. Um, but the word sustainable comes with a lot of work. And she really teaches and is, uh, is really just killing it when it comes to teaching others and educating through training. She's doing a lot more than just saying, this is how you do it. She's showing other people how, how to do it. Um, she's doing really great things. She just moved back to uh, Puerto Rico, which is where she's from, but she's been in New York and gone back and forth between Puerto Rico and New York for a while. Um, but she feels like the time is right after Hurricane Maria. She And I guess there was another hurricane. It's, it's escaping me at the moment. But this um, this time has been very clear to her that she's got a lot to do. And she's really excited about where Puerto Rico is, how it's getting through those um, the challenges. And she's, you know, she's doing something about it. A lot of us said, let's do something. She physically moved there to do it. Um, so yeah, I kind of love her view on things. I love her, her place in fashion. She's leading. She's like blazing big old trails. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, uh, without further ado, here is summer school session number two with our Elise Herrera Lugo. Yay. All right. Are you there? I am here. Hello. Hi. Okay. So I'm super pumped that we were able to finally make this work. I know you've been super busy. So let me kick off this uh, this awesome podcast special edition, a summer school edition is what we're calling it. Um, I'd like to introduce Arlie Herrera-Luga, who is the founder of Arlie Studio, brand and consultancy agency out of uh, the U.S. and PR, or I say PR, but Puerto Rico. You're also the founder of Ritaza, which is champion Championing, championing, wow, I'm going to work that one out, uh, but championing sustainable manufacturing within Puerto Rico and then taking that to a bigger message within the United States and abroad, um, helping lots of brands get there. You're also an educator of many people every day, every moment, I'm sure, but also officially at Parsons and Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, teaching sustainable fashion at both of those schools. Um, and lastly, because you're not busy enough, you're a director of product development at a factory within Puerto Rico currently. <laughs> and did I catch it all? <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I don't do everything at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? It sounds like it. I, if you ever need your resume written up, just, you know, you're going to need, like, at least five pages to cover it all. That's all. Tabs. You're going to need that. But it's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have a little bit of a busy bee making around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of, where are you actually located right now? Like your physical presence at this moment on this phone call? Right now, I am in Puerto Rico. I moved uh, full time to Puerto Rico on January 2nd. Um, mm -hmm. The company that I'm a director of product development for actually moved me here from New York, and oh obviously I wanted to move to Puerto Rico full-time for a very long time, and I was just trying to figure out different routes that could possibly work towards that, and um, there was a lot of trials and failures. I think I, this is the third time I tried to live full-time in Puerto Rico after college. I guess the third time is a charm. Absolutely. Um, and uh, we have a little backstory quickly. We went to college together in Philadelphia at Morehouse right. Martin Design for for women, and we both did fashion. And in the end, I kind of moved around. You relocated to New York City, and that's where you kind of had a lot of things going on. But I hear you on you try to make you try to get back to the homeland a number of times. I'm so happy that it's worked out this third time, and that you actually can kind of bring your message there with you. It's pretty great. I feel very lucky um, and I feel very grateful of the opportunities that I have had and the, the chances and the luck that I've had to be able to do what I what I love and to do it at home where there are really no platforms to do any of these. There's really not a big um, fashion industry in, in the island and uh, but, but hopefully you know, that's, you know helping change that 
but it, it's like um, it feels like I always always wanted to to do this, and I kind of never really thought that it would work because it just kept trying trying and failing. Uh, but as of right now, it is it is working. You know, being here, living here, even after the hurricane uh, that you know, of course, everybody knows about. Um, but it's been challenging, but great at the same time. Which reminds me that that kind of leads us to our first segment. Uh, what's in your cup? So what are you drinking? So I, as we are speaking, I am drinking coffee. From mm-hmm. local pork and roaster called Hacienda San Pedro, um, and it's rare almost to be able to have um, Puerto Rican coffee after the hurricane because 75 percent of the crops were lost. So, wow. uh, but we do have a lot of small. Puerto Rico has has had in the past few years a sort of a revival, like a back to the land revival with agriculture and organic farming and all that stuff, kind of like. It's happening in the U.S. as well, uh, but just just uh, it always you know takes a little longer to those movements to, to get here. But when they do get here, they they take off in a good way. And um, there's another coffee roaster called Cafe Gran Bate, who's from my mom's town. And basically, after the hurricane, they all had to pick up whatever beans they could get from the ground and from the floor and from the trees, and then they had to roast them on the sun instead of by machine because there was no electricity. So I have two um, packets of coffee beans that are pre-Hurricane Maria, roasted on the sun like it was done in the olden days, and it's like the most special coffee I'm going to have for a while. Like I'm drinking a cup right now, and I'll probably drink the next one in the new year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that is actually really, that's incredible, the idea of like not having electricity and having to go through the, that production process to make this coffee work, like the idea of roasting it this way without electricity is bananas to me. That is, okay, yeah, I would hold on to that coffee forever. That's really special. I mean, we could have a whole podcast about coffee because my grandfather used to be a coffee farmer, and uh, I actually used to have memories of my grandma roasting the coffee beans in the sun. They used to have these huge drawers that would just put all the beans and they would dry. And then, you know, when technology took over, it was just quicker to do it by machine. True. But uh, it's still pretty amazing that you have uh, you have this knowledge, and it's through, like, an ancestral family line of, of knowledge. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're pretty connected to a product that a lot of us can't live without, and it's inherent to you and your, your family. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of amazing. You know what? I never thought of it that way, but think of Yeah. The idea that some people are like, I can't live until I have my coffee. I can't be who I am without my coffee. And you're just like, let me tell you about this magical stuff that, you know, my family (laughs) used to do. Let me tell you about the magic that happened on this island when people were just trying to make that work. You know, like all these crops were destroyed and these were like what was left and this is what we could make out of it. But that's also kind of like, I'm not saying it's a metaphor for Puerto Rico right now, but it is kind of interesting how big this impact, how impacted this entire region was by Hurricane, it's Hurricane Maria, correct? Um, Irma and Maria, both. Maria, oh, of that's course, right. is the most devastation, but yeah, Irma too. How is it, like, and I know that this doesn't totally relate to, you know, the, the what's in your cup, but how does it feel right now where you are? If you did move in January, like, even since January, how is how's it feeling in the what's the air like um in Puerto Rico, you know, as far as like people getting you know, recovering and getting back to back to what they know. Oh, that's a loaded question. Okay. Oh boy. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna talk about it from my perspective, which is a perspective mm-hmm. of privilege and it's a perspective, you know, you know, bubble. Um first of all, I feel like since I've moved to Puerto Rico, I've been so busy, and the daily grind gets to you in a way that it didn't really get to me in New York. So it's almost like I knew more about what was going on in Puerto Rico when I had time to be on Facebook reading what was going on in Puerto Rico versus True. here living <laughs> what is going on in Puerto Rico and not having time to really look at it with distance. Um, mm-hmm. So 
So in the midst of that, I worked um, at a factory that's in the middle of the island on the, on the northwest coast, and it's in the country, uh, and it's in one of the poorest towns in Puerto Rico. That's the reason the factory is there, to give people employment. And, uh, you know, we still run out of electricity on the regular. Really? Um, we have diesel generators to power up the plant. Um, and, and it, you know, it's 600 people selling, so that's a lot of diesel that's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, people, 80% of the people, no, wait, 80 people out of the 600 people lost, in the factory lost everything with the hurricane, their houses, everything. Um, wow. And we, you know, the CEO of the company bought them generators and, you know, he's been kind of great helping, supporting, and we actually manufactured some stuff for New Balance, and New Balance sent us, sent them, because I wasn't here when it happened, but it sent them sneakers and all that stuff, and then I, I worked out some other donations uh, for the factory once I arrived. But, so there's that daily work, and you kind of get, like, in the middle of putting up fires. Then there's the fact that my mom lives in Guaynabo, which is one of the more better suburbs in the island where she never really ran out of water. Her house is like a fort. She didn't have electricity and my grandma, you know, soiled the sheets and everything and she had to take care of my grandma and I was able to get her a generator and it's funny because me in New York, you know, in my little apartment, freaking out over all the things that were happening here and here people, like my mom was had the easiest. I mean, I got her generator like a few weeks into it. It was here. And then she got electricity in, I think, October. There's still 20% of the island that still has no power since September 20th of last year. Wow. Like, I said it was a lot of questions. (laughs) Yeah, that is. No, and it's, um, (laughs) and it says a lot about like the infrastructure and, and types of communities within Puerto Rico, like as far as access to those as far as, like, improving utilities and things like that. But it's a really um, – I kind of appreciate – wow, my cat is totally meowing outside the store. Um, but it's, I really appreciate you going through, you know, where you're working right now in a factory which has a very different demographic versus what you have where your mom is. Those are two really different, like, areas, and they definitely had different responses to the hurricane. But it's still it's still not good by any means. It just sounds like – Things are getting better, no. but it's but it's still rough. It's still rough, you know. Uh, things are getting better. Most of San Juan has power, but we still the grid in Puerto Rico is old, and what they're doing is repairing it. When what they should be doing is making the investment to rebuild it completely and put it on the ground. But there's, you know, mm. this is also a country that is in a massive amount of debt and doesn't have and has a fiscal board that is um, running the island basically. On the Congress appointed a fiscal board full of water types to control the government of Puerto Rico. And to be honest with you, the government of Puerto Rico is also so corrupt, so I, I really don't know which is worse, the fiscal board or the government of Puerto Rico. <laughs> neither, of that, neither of them are doing a very good job. Um, uh, man. But I mean, in the middle of all that, there's also a lot of positives. Like, mm-hmm some of the work that I'm doing with Retaso, and then some of the work that other nonprofits and, and other people are doing to rebuild. So there's always opportunity in a crisis. Well, then I, I got to kind of cut ahead then to, like, works in progress. Like, what are you working on? What are you doing? Tell me about your project. Personal, professional, I'm taking it. Give it to me. <laughs> so on the personal, I just started um, fitness training for the first time in, like, forever. Nice. I I would like to better equip my body and mind to handle what's coming. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure what is coming, but it feels from a very visible place that something is coming that I need to be ready for it in a spiritual, physical, uh, and mental level. Right on. I mean, so you, it, it, it's, just a, a feel, it's just a feeling, like a, something's coming, I got to get my shit right. Is that it? Yeah, it comes. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> normally, I wouldn't even like tell people about these feelings, but I'm gonna be 36 this year, and I just don't give that much about what other people think anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> there's there's something that happened this last year when I left when I left my job at Lucky Brand. 
I was so worried about what everyone was going to think of me. And I, and I was just like, oh, but it's just not right for me. And then oh, I just, God bless, I took the leap. We did it, moved, and everything's been great. Like, judgment aside, not really. It's nothing really serious. It's kind of like all these thoughts I thought of that people are going to have about me. Nah, everyone's great. So now I just let it out, the whole, like, spiritual ideas that I'm feeling or the, you know, messages I might get. <laughs> Oh, I let it all, all the witchy woo woo, I let it hang out. I do. I, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> exactly. It's just rarely writing. It feels great. But it's also, I don't think I could articulate, I don't think I could have articulated my feelings or my experiences in such a way five years ago. I think something happens with just living life and time passing by that makes you wiser, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I completely agree with that. It's, it's, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, oh, that's this age and experience and us, you know, seeing these things. But I do think that there is, there's a great comfort in knowing yourself and trusting in what you know is to come or a feeling you have. Like, once you stop doubting that, I think you can make a lot more decisions to go forward and be confident in them. So I, I think it's great. I think it's yeah. very, very cool. Um, I've also noticed that whenever I kind of let my spiritual slash whatever creative side hang out, it kind of encourages more people to talk to me about those things. Yep. And it kind of normalizes conversations that we're all having inside of our head. It kind of normalizes it and allows, you know, everyone to, like, reach out and talk. And people that may not even agree about the same topics at least feel like they can talk about things, which I think is pretty cool. So It is. It I'm kind of – Sorry, I totally didn't mean to interrupt you there, but um, all right. So fitness is cool. Oh, no, no, no. So your your personal topic is getting fit, doing some some. You said it was a personal training kind of situation or fitness training. Like, what kind of is it? Well, I started with a personal trainer, but I kind of um, fell off the wagon with that because I couldn't. I didn't really control the time that I could train every day. Like, I couldn't make it consistent. But the commitment to myself is consistent, so I just. Um, have a routine that she gave me, and I either do it in the morning if I can, which I know I really can, um, but I really just try to do it in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> and I live, I live in front of a track field, so I kind of have no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, and I have to. Um, yeah. So what, what else are you working on? What else kind of fills your day or that you're really excited about? Um, well, I'm, I'm excited about, um, honestly, I'm excited yeah. every morning, every time I drive to work and I cross this bridge that is beautiful, like the Puerto Rican like, forest, and, and I go into work, I'm like, I cannot, can I curse? <laughs> yes, of course. I cannot <laughs> fucking believe that I live here. <laughs> every morning, I'm like, this is like, I fucking am here. So after I get over that, it's like, okay, so what do we have to I do? Hope, I hope what you, do we need to accomplish? I hope you never get over that. I'm interrupting, and I'm sorry, but I hope you never get over that feeling of, oh, my God, I fucking live here. This is awesome. I, I hope you never get over that. Let it go. <laughs> but, uh, Let's wait. A, this, maybe I'll get over it quickly, but it's another hero game. I'm just kidding. So, oh, <laughs> gosh. I mean, <laughs> I love right? laugh about it. You know, um, you're right. And it's island life. Like, there's. There are some things that are going to always be – there's always going to be a threat of those kinds of situations. But resilience yeah. is key. And you're resilient as fuck. So it's kind of awesome. You'll be great. No, no, I'm not worried about it. But, but yeah, I, I uh, it's uh, a lot of clipping yourself. But, but after <laughs> I get over that, I'm, I'm working on – right now my main focus is Tretaso. And what we're doing with Latasso is that we're tackling the sustainable, sustainable fashion or the, the, we're tackling the environmental crisis, the fashion industry has created, uh, from a Puerto Rico angle, which is a lot less damage has happened here than in other places. But at the same time, we are helping factories work with designers in the island so designers can export their designs. We manage the production for the designers, and we're educating designers on sustainable choices they can make to make their businesses more circular, 
and more sustainable and more resilient, not only to hurricanes, but to anything that can come, that could come after them in terms of adversity. We're just helping them sort of design clothing that is more sustainable, but also design business models around those designs that are also sustainable and resilient. Could you, I know this is like, again, another loaded question. Can you kind of explain like how you guys are doing it differently than what is like maybe the traditional model or how things have been recently in the industry? Because I think that there's a lot of big words that people are excited about. The word sustainable is really, it's a beautiful, great concept, but it may not always mean what we think it does. And it's in the sense that like um, there's a lot of, things that get, you know, like being sustainable is really hard to be truly sustainable. So there's a lot of things to get there. There's a lot of good motion to like make it work. There's also like when we talk about circular production and circular concept, like those are really uh, interesting terms. I didn't get to go to fashion school and learn that stuff. So I'm, and you teach it. So I'd love to like kind of hear how it's different, especially for our, you know, our listeners who may not um, come from, the background that you and I have, which is in the fashion industry. Yeah. Of course. Okay. So, well, first, there's, there's one thing that I always tell um, our, our, the people that come, you know, that, that reach out to us at Ritasu, and, and we've been able to, you know, do a lot in a very short amount of time in Puerto Rico because we actually are four co-founders, um, and I sort of manage – mainly and only the circularity and the manufacturing part of the business. And then we have a director of operations. His name is Daniel. He's my business partner, and he's sort of the de facto uh, director of operations, even though that's not the title that he may want in the future, but right now he's really good at that. And um, he is also um, in charge of sales. And then we have somebody that's a director of community. Her name is Julie Avila, and she's in charge of reaching out to all the designers instead of having those first conversations and filtering with them. So, and then we have somebody else that's in New York. So, so from the premises that, that it is a communal effort, it's not just any effort. Um, in the context of your question, we always tell everybody that sustainability is a journey, not a destination. Uh, same thing with circularity. And what circularity means for is that we are active participants in the principles of the circular economy from a design standpoint, from a production standpoint, and from a uh, economical or business standpoint. So that's that's one thing. And then the sustainable fashion and education part that we cater is more product specific to um, oh. the designers. Like if you want to design a T-shirt, we're going to help you design the best T-shirt that you can design and manufacture in Puerto Rico. Another thing that I that I think it's worth mentioning is that what we do, it's very right now, it's very Puerto Rico specific because you have other places in the U.S. that have very rich fashion industries that sort of are developed already, like in New York and L.A. You know, the Carolina textile district in North Carolina, and they don't really have the same issues that Puerto Rico has in terms of we don't really have a recycling textile program or any recycling in the island. You know, the the fact that factories could be powered with solar is something that only became relevant after the Hurricane Maria because of the whole diesel that it required to power machines and, and the generators not working. So so that opened up a whole bunch of opportunities to, to Puerto Rico specific. So what we do is we teach factories how to be more sustainable from an environmental standpoint, meaning we do an assessment of what is the footprint that they are letting and the waste that they have and how are they managing their resources and how are they treating their employees. And we, the factories that work with us, are vetted for all those four things. Then the designers that work with us, um, we do product development and sourcing for them. And when they sort of come under the retrasal system, we advise them on sustainable material choices, uh, production choices in terms of, like, organizing their calendar. Like, maybe you don't have to do 
two collections a year. Maybe it's one collection and you put out product and all the product is related. And maybe the collection you do next year goes with the one from last year. And maybe you use the same fabric and it's just different colors. It's just like things that we as designers know from having worked in the industry for so long, but because I am coming to a place that has no industry, because most of the fashion designers in Puerto Rico do prom dresses and wedding gowns, there's no red mm-hmm. wear industry here. And that's sort of, we're actively planting the seeds so that there is a ready-to-wear industry here that will employ the students that graduate yearly from the three different schools that offer bachelor degree programs in fashion design in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Work for the um, sort of technical schools that have are graduating people from sewing and um, other workers in factories because most factories, including the one I work in, live off of military manufacturing contracts, military uniforms. And if the if your factory and the hurricane took half your roof, you're not going to get that two million dollar contract that you got last year because you have to check all these other boxes to be able to play in the field of the federal government contracting. So if you don't, the factory doesn't know how to manufacture something else than the ACU trial services, the Army Army Combat Uniform, then you have to close down. But if your factory knows how to do other things, you can sort of survive until you get another contract or maybe you can diversify. So we train designers, we train factories in, in how to work with each other more efficiently. And right now it's mainly through us because we're establishing modular education and language and you know it's a, it's a big this is like the next 20 years of my life for sure yeah so I was like, this is not taking this is not one workshop and everything's done this is like a like like you said it's a journey like sustainability is a journey but also this whole idea of education and building building the industry there differently is is a journey absolutely and i i have to I have to not reflect back, but kind of say in, in tandem with what you're saying, like there's a lot of factories in the United States. There used to be a lot of garment manufacturing done in the United States in a number of areas. And it's kind yeah. of, they weren't, as time went on, those factories just kind of stayed the course and didn't diversify. And to your point, like there's a lot of places that still sell military uniforms because there is a, a very strong feeling in the United States that, those military uniforms should be made in the United States. Like, I totally understand that. However, those factories that do it, it's not owned by the U.S. military. They're owned by private people, private, you know, companies. And so when they don't diversify, if they lose a contract, that's a lot of different people losing their jobs. And in my industry, working in denim, I won't say which brand I'd worked with on this, but we were trying to do product in the United States, and we can definitely do product out of the United States out of Los Angeles, but we also felt like there was other areas that could be useful, you know, so like El Paso, Texas is a huge, uh, I say huge, mm-hmm. but it was one of the larger manufacturing places for, je- for like jeans, denim, those kind of heavier weight things, but they kind of moved all to military uniforms. So those people that have been working in those sewing factories and uh, laundries, a lot of them kind of lost, lost their knowledge of denim. And so a lot of people had to be retrained on how to sew that correctly, how to do your shrinkage right for wash, like all these different things that had to be relearned. And luckily it's not so far removed from when the time they used to do a lot of denim, but there's actually like 65 year old people being brought back in who'd been a part of those factories. They're being brought back to these uniform factories to teach people how to make denim for other brands now. So it's kind of interesting. Like we almost lost that knowledge and now it's back. But it says a lot about diversifying what those factories can do, what those sewers can do. It's good for all the sewers, all the workers to also mm-hmm. have that knowledge, you know. I think that's that's really interesting. But uh, that's, thank um, you for seeing that. Yeah, of course. Um, what you're describing is very similar to what's happening in Puerto Rico, too. Um, you know, we're training. Um, we have a partnership with a nonprofit called Centro Solidarino Jose, and they are training um, – we are supposed to be training sewers to sort of train other sewers. So we're, we have like a train the trainer program and I have to go out and find women that have been sewing, you know, that are, that all of them are older than 55 years old and convince them to come and teach people that are 20 years old that have no job, that don't know how to sew. They don't have any of these technical skills. Um, you know, not everything is solved with a college degree. But Absolutely that's a whole agree with that. <laughs> that's another. <laughs> 
we'll need another show. <laughs> Life skills. Life skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miranda. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I do want to go back to one thing you had also mentioned is, like, because you guys are, I think you guys, that you and Rotaza are kind of educating even designers, like people who do have college degrees in in fashion, there is a lot of, like, kind of, like, rules to our fashion industry that are kind of not necessary. So, you know, there's the idea of having four seasons to deliver product in. Um, mm-hmm. And you were like, well, maybe you don't need it, or maybe you have two big seasons that you deliver product for. But I love that you're kind of going the route of you don't always need to follow these, you know, old-fashioned ideas of what a season is or when to release your product or, you know, like, actually, if you're a small business, you know? Yeah, and there's a lot of brands, I think, coming out of uh, the U.K., and I've seen a few here in the U.S., too, that are kind of just releasing when they want to release. And that's actually more exciting than, Mm -hmm. oh, we did a big drop for our – this is our big fall collection – Instead, like, people are buying clothes and wearing them throughout the year. No one, like, packs up their winter clothes as much as they used to. Like, my – because of global warming, I'm going to go down another rabbit hole. Everything has to be kind of seasonless. I'm like, oh, girl, we need another show. Um, But things are more seasonless now. And also we demand our products to perform better and to do things differently. So it's a very different time. So if you keep going with these old – outdated rules of this is the collection and this is when it drops and this is when you mark it down and just trying to force people to buy, it's outdated. You know, people aren't doing that anymore. So I honestly think we're, yeah, I agree with you. And I think for all of us in the fashion industry, we're in the midst of a lot more change that is coming our way because Fashion, of course, is affected by everything that happens in the world. And I think, yeah, climate change is definitely a big factor in how we're going to be thinking about what we wear, wearing it, and designing it as, you know, as designers ourselves. Absolutely. Oh, I love I love the awareness. It's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm still, don't get me wrong, I'm still a designer operating in a more traditional format. But I can't deny that, like, I think it was Polo, not Polo, it was Ralph Lauren's last, uh, maybe not last question, I think it was this last year, they released everything that was on the runway. The moment you saw it on the runway, you could buy it. Yeah. And that them and along with a number of other brands have started doing that. And that kind of, again, changed how, you know, Fashion Week usually shows a certain time every year. There's a Fashion Week that, you know, that happens multiple times a year, depending on your market and your um, your category, but it just changed the timing. So they put it on its head, showing product that was a different season versus the one that were you know everyone else is used to seeing, and being able to buy it right away. Kind of crazy, um, but I also think that even runway is outdated too. So that's a whole other concept. But anyways, another I agree another with time. you. <laughs> I agree with like, you 100% like, about all the above. <laughs> <laughs> well. Um, is there, like, you know, is there any other thing that you'd love to touch on that you're working on? Because you are a busy bee, absolutely busy bee. Or if you're feeling good, let me know. <laughs> um, no, this is pretty much, I mean, I'm just doing three things right now. Blue water defense, <laughs> and training. I'm just trying to stay focused um, because they're all very big undertakings. So that's about as much as I have. For. Mm-hmm. Right on. I think you're doing pretty fucking fantastic. I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty thank into you. it. And I mean, I. Yeah. No, you are. You're kind of amazing. Um, I'm always impressed by people I know and all that they do and touch. And you're kind of living within two really different geographic locations too. Even though you're technically moved and you know rooted in Puerto Rico at this point, your businesses are still really tied to New York. So you're like going throughout a lot of different uh, areas and people and groups. And, you know, I I can only imagine. I'm just here in Minnesota just going, oh, wow, winter's coming. (laughs) That's kind of like, oh, (laughs) better get my clothes. Oh, you do that, too. Don't get me the Don't don't You are busy as well. Trying, trying. But still, I'm just trying to do a good job. I like it. I like it. Um, Well, I will will break to my – all right, my other favorite segment. I like all of our segments. 
I think they're all like, you know, my favorite, like they're all my children. But I do really like this last <laughs> segment, which is a gold star because I love hearing, I love hearing what people love. Like I love hearing that message of like, this place is great or this person was awesome or whatever. Like I would love to hear what your gold star is because you have such a, such a cool perspective on a lot of different things. So what would you give a gold star to? How you oh feel? Oh my God. This was really, I was reading right before we got in our, I we got on the phone. I was reading um, the questions and I was like, one? Do I have to give one? Can I give three? No, give give three. Oh my gosh, take mine. I'm giving up my my gold star. I would like to give it to you because I want to hear it. He told me because um, I think um, there is um, so. I I would like to take this opportunity to give a gold star to anyone who um, survived Hurricane Maria here and spent the hurricane here and is a business owner and opened back up again in spite the poor conditions and the, how draining it all has become. Because in January when I arrived, you could feel it in the air. People were tired. They were yeah. tired of dealing with everything. And I feel like as we're going to approach um this next holiday season, hopefully without any incumbent hurricanes in the way, uh, although we're mid-hurricane season, so who knows, but I'm hoping, I'm praying. Didn't even mm-hmm. need to pray before, but I do pray for no, for, for, for no hurricanes now. Um, anyone that is hustling and working hard to survive and, you know, bring put food on the table, in spite of everything else that is going on here and doing it with a smile on their face, themselves deserves a big gold star. I mean, sometimes I complain and then I look around where I work and the 80 people that still have no house, and I'm like, you know what? I really have no problems. Um, so I want to give a gold star to them. I also I would like to... I'm sorry, what? Oh, I said, I dig it. I'm quietly going, I'm shaking my head yes to, like, everything you're saying. Like, I'm definitely sitting, I'm definitely sitting in the church pew, nodding my head yes. Just like, mm-hmm, oh my yeah, amen. But uh, I'm such an interrupter, so I have to, like, stop myself from just shaking my head yes. But I could I was like, mm-hmm, amen. That's right. Gold stars for that. Big gold stars. Um, but I, I interrupted your next gold star. Go ahead. Oh. Um, Okay, my next goal start is to our most recent partner in Tepaso, Centro Sorisolina Ferrer. They are a nonprofit organization that helps communities in various fronts, health, education, and business development. And they are partnering with us to create a Retazo Modala, which is going to be like our own little like uh, studio slash factory slash classroom. Inside their facilities where we're going to be able to train people into high-end ready-to-wear manufacturing because that's the other component. Not everybody knows how to make. So the same thing to work in a factory and do, like, one sleeve all day for 10 years and to actually make a whole blouse. So um, that, that's, yeah. that's one part. And we're going to be teaching and we're going to be doing everything there. Even, uh, I think, I'm hoping because there's a garden, some natural dyeing uh, that I'm really excited about because we have a whole bunch of people that are sort of into dyes and textiles in the island now. There's a lot of people that graduated from design schools and moved back, and they don't really have a place to go play, and I really want to help create one so that we can all play together. <laughs> um, uh, that's incredible. I'm sorry. That looks our rules, too. Like, um, equally. That is awesome. <laughs> I also, like, I know you're, like, this is a great place to make, you know, for people to be and to learn and to play and, you know, all these things, but I'm like, uh, they're kind of changing lives that way though it's not just a good it's not just a studio space to play this is a very much a uh investment in people that's awesome yeah and and that's what i meant by equipping myself um you know working with 600 people and then teaching teaching in another teacher it's a you know you, you need to have your wealth replenished in order for you to to be good at this thing. So now that, you know, as lost would have it and as life had it, I've been, I, I am being able to achieve these things. Now I just, I almost like, all right, don't screw it up. Now you have to be the best person you can be in this situation so that, that it, that it, it works and there's more situations like this. Um, and the third star is mm-hmm. for, um, 
the Hispanic Federation, which um, it's a New York-based nonprofit. We're a U.S.-based nonprofit, but but they have been doing a lot of work in Puerto Rico after the hurricane to help people bounce back and and help you know generate economy. And I found out later, um, I have a good friend, Mario, who works at the Hispanic Federation in New York, but I didn't talk to him about it after, and I don't think he knows it yet. If he's here, maybe he'll learn it. Uh, but um, the Hispanic Federation helped fund the Retaso Modala that we're going to have because they gave money to Center Solitario to to build this. So, in a way... The work that they're doing has repercussions not only not only in the island, but I'm a direct, you know, the party that I have is also going to be beneficiating. And they've done outreach work, they've done building houses, they've done from anything from like giving people food and building houses to like helping them write a business plan so that they can bounce back after the hurricane or giving them a grant to put glasses in the shop that the hurricane took. Um, so, so they get a gold start. So those are my. Yeah, and I'll admit, when you said Hispanic Federation, it doesn't sound – I wouldn't think that that name of that group is doing this work particularly. Like, I wouldn't have tied that just from the name. Um, it sounds like just such a broad and important name. But, uh, wow, I didn't realize how much they have been investing back into Puerto Rico and, and the recovery efforts. That's awesome. And investing yeah, I, in new things. That's fucking great, too. That's very cool. Yeah, I think the Hispanic Federation has a big Puerto Rican population, and they partnered with, like, Lima and Miranda, and they're bringing, you know, they're helping with, like, economic development. And they do they do a whole bunch of things. They do health. Like, they're a big organization. Um, but post-Hurricane, I think New York, anything New York-based, really, I can, and it could be because I lived in New York, and I know all these organizations, and I know people that work in them, and I can, like, attach to the work that they do, but I feel mm-hmm. like, New York really, and also because Puerto Rico, there's such a big population of Puerto Ricans in New York, but I feel like New York really did what the president should have done, really. <laughs> yeah, so, right? <laughs> Maybe the shout-out is to the state of New York. <laughs> well, and, yeah, poor gold star, state of New York. Um, <laughs> but, and honestly, it's just like, you know, you're right. I'm not living in New York, and I'm not a part of, the demographics in which you just spoke about. So the Hispanic Federation is not something that I come across and know. And, you know, coming from my, I'm coming from my white Minnesota bubble at the moment. So I'm just like, whoa, that name sounds big. Oh, my gosh, the amount of effort they can, you know, support. Brilliant. It's very cool. And it is really awesome that you have folks that you know within it or you have connections to all these people that are benefiting from it as well. That's great. Um Gold stars all around. You have really strong gold stars. I'm actually pretty dang impressed. Uh, pretty darn impressed. You've, I knew you'd have amazing ones to give. I knew you'd have a lot to say. And I have to admit, I am energized after this conversation and this podcast today. So I'm so thankful really? that you took the time to talk with me. Yeah. Like, I'm, I can hear you smile from across the, the interwebs, the wires, you know. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for starting this podcast and having this space, creating this space so we could have conversations about things that, you know, matter to our community of creators. Um, and thank you for the Lady Highs and all the other awesome initiatives that you lead that um, I know, I'm not sure because I haven't heard all the podcasts. I, I started with episode 14, but I'm hoping that those are all sort of spoken about in other podcasts because I think it's also just as important. Oh, you know, honestly, it's, um, you know, the the podcast has moved and shaken a little bit as we started from what it is to now. And I think that my sister and I were really excited to talk about our own world of craft outside of our jobs, but it's now become more of like, I can't wait to hear about what everyone else is doing. It's a great place to learn more about other people. So the summer school series that we're kind of, putting together, which you are our second educator of, um, it's really, it's an exciting part. And we got a lot of great feedback from our first episode, so I can't wait to hear what folks are going to say about yours. Without a doubt, I'm going to hear some good stuff, no doubt. Oh, fantastic. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you. And we'll, uh, I'm sure we will chat again very soon. Thanks, Arlie. I'll call you right back.
I just want to say thanks again to Arlise for joining us for this kind of a summer session, our summer school session number two. Um, I could talk to her forever. I feel energized just thinking about everything she had to say. I, she and I got back on the horn after we got done recording and I had a million more questions to talk to her about. <laughs> um, I might bring her back for some other stuff. I think that might be good. Um, I mean, I can, I can totally see how trying to, trying to cover all of that ground in a podcast length conversation would be impossible. And those are the best kinds of conversations, the ones that lead you to think more about um, how you could participate in those things or how you could be doing better or how you um, could be learning more about the creative ways people are trying to address things like uh, climate change and um, the the aftermath of natural disasters and how do you help communities rebuild without just sort of um, throwing a bunch of unsustainable money at it, right? Like you have to do something different than that. Um, so it's always really interesting right. to hear the, hear the creative ways that people are are engaging in that. That's awesome. Yeah, and she's got ideas on ideas and uh, I hope she never slows down. I hope I, I hope that we can bring her back for a couple more things. Um, but yeah, so I really appreciate Arlie's taking the time. I'm never, never short of amazement when talking with her. So, um, oh, and last thing, we'll get some hashtags out there so that we can, because, you know, Arlie's and I were talking fast, but she had a lot to say around, like, everything from coffee to factories to um, nonprofits that are helping Puerto Rico rebuild. I want to get all of those out to everybody because... You know, it's important. And me and Arlise got really excited real fast. So I don't know if we got everything out there, but we'll get those out there. And uh, at the same time, you should, you know, talk about where we, you can find us. Yeah. So. Well, so <laughs> when we get the links, we'll put those on the website for this episode. So you can find us at stitchcraftsisters.com and under episode 19, where you'll find our show notes, you will also find all of the links that we have for all of the things that Arlise talked about. We'll also put uh, hashtags on Instagram to try to help people find things there for whatever stuff uh, is available on Instagram. And our Instagram is also Stitchcraft Sisters. Um, you can also find us on iTunes as Stitchcraft Podcast. Um, and we have a Ravelry group, um, Stitchcraft Podcast, although you know, the places that we tend to be the most active, Instagram is absolutely the most active. Um, and then a lot of people do make comments uh, on the website. So if you want to share ideas that you have about sustainability or companies or people that you know are really uh, making big efforts in sustainability, please do share that with us. We would love to hear about them and amplify it as best we can. And with that, we'll thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Um, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.